and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs speaks to Joe Patton about optimum nutrition to help cows transition from the dry period to lactation. Okay, so good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's uh, Let's Talk Dairy. So a very important topic to be covered by Joe today uh, in relation to milk fever. Obviously, there's cows beginning to calve around the country now at this stage, and in some cases, uh, quite progressed in, in, some, in some parts of the country, in the earlier parts of the country already. So milk fever is a, a problem that probably occurs on every farm in the country at some point in time during the course of the calving season. And Joe, the whole, I suppose, a bit of an explanation around why it occurs so that you can understand it from that point of view. And then also maybe the ways around it. So like obviously most people will be using their um, dry cow minerals in order to try to prevent it, but it doesn't always prevent it. So Joe's going to cover the, the aspects of what people can do uh, and especially in situations where cows go start to go down, uh, maybe solutions to solve that in a in a more in a quick in a fairly timely fashion to try and resolve it so that it doesn't become a very significant issue for you. So, Joe, you have a few slides that you're going to share, and uh, as I said, there will probably be about 40, 45 minutes yep. at most. And we'd encourage you if you put them in straight away because uh, both Joe and I have. Uh, other appointments at 11 so we will be finished before 11 okay so um share away there joe if you're okay to do so so yeah look um as we said we get straight into it it's really around a transition management short and getting getting over the hump so really um as we know look at 60 70 80 percent of your problems probably are going to happen in the next in the next few weeks um a lot of your clinical disorders you know everybody can see that that it's a busy time for vets, a busy time on farms, and obviously the calving event causes um, causes a shock to the system, I suppose, for the, for the cow, and that's what we have to try and get over. So look, it's something that um, we've been saying for a few years now, and certainly uh, speaking a lot with the with with Finbar's group in UCD as well, and the way they they approach it, it's very interesting that they, they would always say, look look at this as a Look at your issues around milk fever and ketosis and displaced abomasins and retained placentas and all of those things together, almost as a as a as a as a complex of 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 related disorders, really. So, really, if we could solve the problem on on subclinical milk fever, I suppose it will help for for some of the other for some of the issues, particularly in the first few weeks uh, pre uh, sorry post calving. So, you know, a lot of a lot of hairs with retained placentas over the years would have said that if they fixed their milk fever or their subclinical milk fever problem, that the retained placenta problem in a lot of cases will disappear. And similarly with the with the displacements in the early part of the season. Now, there is a difference, I suppose we should just point that out that you do get displacements in March and time when maybe people are running tight on grass. And that's a slightly different thing, but we probably should come back to that at another time. But look, the main point is if we take all those issues together, slow calvings, maybe thrown in on top of that as well. A lot of it is down to, um, a lot of it might be down to calcium status, right? So uh, just to give an idea of what we're talking about here, um, and we're looking at blood calcium, and like, I mean, there's there's loads and loads and loads of stuff published over many years on, on this, going way back to the going, going way back to the war period almost on, on, on a lot of this stuff, that people know that if there's a problem with milk fever, it's essentially it's a calcium issue that you're getting a drop in, in blood calcium right on the point of calving. And that's what that chart is showing, Stuart. So you can see there the one that drops away down, that's clinical milk fever. 
uh, you're getting a big drop in, in, in calcium right on the point of calving. And I suppose the ones that are without clinical milk fever then are, are sort of staying above that. So yeah, look, the, the point here, I suppose, sure, we just want to make is when you look at that, right, that normal cows and, abnor- and cows with clinical problems, you can see there that, you know, for a couple of days pre-calving, there's no difference. And really, after four or five days post-calving, it's... Um, they're back to sort of relatively normal again, right? So it really is that period for that sort of couple of days pre, two days pre-calving, I suppose, till two or three days post-calving is the issue. So I, th- I just wanted to make that point that I suppose that should inform what we think or how we think about managing um, how we think about managing cows from that period just before to maybe a couple of days after. Uh, if we can get them over that period, I suppose that's what we're trying to. That's what we're sort of trying to achieve. But it is, it is, inst- it is interesting to see that. The ones that get it and the ones that, and the ones that get it don't seem that different pre or certainly post calving they can recover but obviously a lot of problems can happen uh, in in the in the middle so it's that clinic that period of risk we're trying to, to look at so just to make that point again we said there about the difference the differences they're all linked to different um, different disorders I suppose just to make the point it's muscle function and immune function together that are the problems right so with, with low blood calcium immunity immune function is dropped and also muscle function is dropped and it's obvious that muscle function drops because you see things like um obviously cow down essentially is the classic look but also um you know slow calvings or cows that are just not not steady on their feet so muscle function goes goes awry with, with low calcium but also immune function as well and that has a that can have an effect on mastitis can affect on displaced uh displaced abmaze and and an effect on uh, metritis as well so look get your calcium status right and then we're sort of saying you know your your immune function and your muscle function can be can be can be can be um, improved. And just to maybe finally make, re, look at the point before we move on to the to how to prevent this problem, I suppose um, this is just looking at um, this is just a chart basically of rumen rumen wall um, or it's basically the contractions of the rumen wall. So you can see here uh, when when calcium status is good, you've got plenty of activity. But when calcium status or clinical problems with with um, milk fever, the rumen stops working essentially, and that's what causes your issues maybe with displacements and things like that. So it just does prove the point that a lot of this stuff is is linked together. So what are the things, Stuart, we need to be looking at? And I suppose that's all right looking at the theory behind it. But what do we need to be watching for? over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so really to try and br- break this down into something that f- people can use, it's really four or five main points that we want to be looking at. So again, we've been saying this for a while now and it's, it's, it's nothing new to us or nothing new to any other groups looking at this. It's low dietary magnesium, high dietary K, which is potash essentially, um, too high in cations, which we'll come to in a second. That's pretty much, you could nearly take that as being driven by too high in potash. Um, too, too heavy a condition on cows, and then obviously uh, older cows as well, and maybe a risk with um, a risk with, with with Jersey genetics as well might be might be might be an issue too in terms of increasing the risk of milk fever. So magnesium, potassium, body condition, and age, and I suppose it should also throw in there as well that vitamin D certainly as well. Vitamin D would be something that uh, requires um, a lot of talk about vitamin D on the radio these days for other reasons, but for our cows, uh, it's, it's also required in terms of improving their, their, their chances on, 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 on calcium. So look, um, just to keep moving, 
this is it's too late really in most cases sure at this stage to do anything about milk about body condition and i suppose we have to make that point we're looking at trying to get to three and a quarter which looks something like that uh, as a, as an ideal for calving down so you can still see uh, the, the rib structure but it's not covered in but really at this stage it might be for a lot of people it might be too late to do much about that you're not going to change body condition in the cows that are quite close to calving now so i suppose for the ones that are coming to the point of calving and beginning to spring down, we would almost be saying that it's if they're over-conditioned, it's probably, you could actually make a problem worse by trying to do too much in terms of holding their intakes down. So we should be focusing on the ones that are over-conditioned. It's managing them in terms of maybe uh, calcium on the point of calving, uh, making sure that they've extra mag in their diet, for example, um, and making sure that their, their forages are low in potassium as well. Those would be the options uh, around that. But um, I don't think it's a good idea to be very heavily restricting cows that are in over-conditioned in the week before calving or the few days pre-calving. I think at this stage, intake is going to be down anyway. They need to have, you need to stop them being too short in energy and protein. It, the, the ship has sailed essentially for trying to solve problems with body condition on the cows on the point of calving. However, we probably should say though that if the March calvers and the April calvers are looking like they're starting to gain a bit of weight, it's probably an option to limit their feed on those ones uh, that are not coming into that final period uh, pre-calving. All right. So the essential point is don't try to don't try and expect miracles on body condition in the next few days if the cows are already springing down and over conditioned. I would be focusing more on intake mag levels and possibly uh, calcium uh, calcium intervene with calcium on the point of calving or just after calving would probably be probably be a better option than than trying you're not going to change condition in a few days obviously and if for cows that are under conditioned at the moment um for cows that are under conditioned at the moment um and if silage quality is poor probably you know if the needed ration at this stage it's getting again it's getting a bit late for them they're probably in the main thing for them is, again is that they're well fed well covered for minerals and possibly Stuart post calving is they're looking at candidates for once a day milking for a while after calving because again trying to do much in terms of in terms of uh, body condition manipulation at this stage is going to be is going to be difficult that cow looks empty as well as, well as tin so there's probably an issue there other than just the body condition they're, they're obviously linked uh, together and there's a cow obviously that we've um this parallel cow features in a lot of my presentations but she's a good example <laughs> of she's a good example of what you don't want basically uh and effectively that's a, that's actually a recycled cow from a few years ago in, in johnston that we don't we don't recycle them anymore precisely for that reason um uh, what are you going to do there like that's that's too late to do much about her you're probably talking about maybe a bolus, maybe like a kextone bolus or something for something like that. And definitely calcium on the point of calving for a cow, uh, for a cow in that, in that, in that case. So there's definitely, um, that's a time bomb. Like that's what that is. Make sure your late ones don't end up in that position by limb, by restricting their feed for the next couple of weeks, I suppose, if, if possible. And uh, certainly, you know, and I suppose, look, I, I would urge people in this situation is if they have cows in that situation, Stuart, speak to your vet now, right? And just go through the protocol for dealing with those because sometimes people overdo the calcium uh, on the point of calving. They could put too much calcium into the vein, for example, which is certainly a problem. Uh, it's really calcium under the skin or a calcium, a calcium bolus. So I think uh, if, there's, if those issues are arising and those issues are... Um, if you want to look about prevention of milk fever on the, for those risky cows, it is well worth just having a chat with your own vet for five minutes uh, before the issue happens, I 
suppose, to be clear as to what the, the protocol is, because I think sometimes, you know, people go with bottles into the vein that they shouldn't do, and people might go with overloading. You know, it's, it's often the case that cow down means a little bit of panic in some cases, and people overdo the calcium, which can cause a problem as well. So just be clear, it's probably calcium under the skin or calcium bolus, but certainly don't, you know, it's a, it's a case really of, you know, just double check when speak to your vet in advance to make sure that you're you're happy that you know exactly what to do in terms of a preventative thing because I do think sometimes um, you can have people going in with two bottles into the vein and things like that which is not a, not a good idea. So I think certainly double check and, and have a, a quick chat with your own vet on on the on the best practice around that. But certainly it's pre-calving calcium or calcium on the point of calving, which is probably a bottle under the skin or a, or a bolus indeed. But don't overdo it. I suppose is the is the main is the main message there. All right. Um, We've talked about this before, Stuart, and I'll just put a bit of a, a thing on it. We'll not spend too long on it. Pre-calving protein, all we're going to say with this is if your cows are, if the silage is poor, if the silage is particularly poor and particularly low in protein, there may be an advantage to giving maybe something around 0.3 of a kilo. So a kilo for every three cows, essentially. One kilo of soya for every three cows. Soya very expensive at the moment. Even, even a half a kilo of distillers would do, do a relatively good job. But soya would be the one, I suppose. But it's a very small amount for, for maybe a week or so pre-calving if needed. But if your silage is kind of 12% protein, there's really not much advantage to it at all. And really testing colostrum quality will tell you whether you need it or not. So there's not, there's not any defined need for for feeding meal pre-calving unless silage quality is very very poor or there's a lot of straw going into the diet i think that should save people a bit of hassle going doing all that without the necessity for it and i would make that call based on the protein percent in the in the, in the silage and also having a look at your colostrum quality and seeing is this um is it, um, is, is it adequate? And if it's adequate, I think we're happy enough that you don't really need much supplement pre-calving. And that's a similar message. No, no, no effect to production, no effect to performance by feeding more, more concentrates, sorry, pre-calving. So look at, simplify that down a, a little bit, okay? Uh, I might just question, go to, I might go to the mineral related. side of things maybe. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Just a question related to that there, George. Yeah, sorry, um, George, yeah. Yeah, just is there any, we'll say in terms of subclinical milk fever, is there any possibility that maybe feeding a small bit of dairy nuts in the short period running into calving could be a, an impact causing milk fever? Like, so maybe people would wouldn't be, heifers through the parlor and things. I don't think with heifers, I, yeah. I think with heifers, I think we should be okay. I think, look, what are you going to do with heifers? You're going to pull, you're going to, the, the best thing is to train the heifers in. And if that means trickling a bit of concentrate that's already in the line to do that, that shouldn't be a problem because heifers, the risk with heifers and milk fever is relatively low anyway. I wouldn't be going in feeding a couple of kilos of, look, there'll be calcium in the milk and ration and most, most likely. Um, you're probably trying to avoid keeping the calcium out. What we would be talking about concentrate pre-calving there, sure, it would be pretty much if it's for protein to, to um, improve colostrum quality. Essentially, what you're talking about there is a very small amount of soya going a long way, right? So it's straight soya, essentially, is what you'd be talking about. Yeah. Uh, but some people would have said over the years that, oh, I'm going to feed two kilos of a sort of a pre-calver mix to get the cows up and going and, this, and get them ready for the concentrate post-calving. There's really no need to be doing that. I think if we start our cows on sort of three kilos after calving, 
and be sensible around what we do in terms of the first few days after calving. There's really no need. There's no, there is no benefit to putting in meal pre-calving to, to cows, unless they're very thin, of course, and if you're trying to build condition in the early part of the dry period. But the idea that you're going to condition the rumen for this heavy level of meal feeding in the post-calving really doesn't, it's, it's not really, it shouldn't really feature in the system. And funny enough, talking to some of the, some of the guys in, in, in Northern Ireland that would be feeding a lot of concentrate, they've sort of moved away a little bit from the pre-calf and ration feeding as well. It does cost, there's a cost in it. You can risk overfeeding them and for, no, no, not, for not much benefit. So good quality silage, focus on the mineral and slow and steady after calving is better than messing around with, with pre-calf and feeding, which causes, it's, it causes cost and it causes labor as well, which at a busy time, it's not really required, you know. All right. Uh, yeah, so maybe when you say being problems. sensible, when you say being sensible post calving, you're talking about not slug feeding cows straight after they calved, going on to six kilos, like. Yeah, and like people say, well, how do I do that then? If I'm if I'm sort of um, how do I do that if I'm setting the rations for six kilos? If they're milked once a day for the first couple of days after the calve, like that's three kilos. Like let them settle and let them come like that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, depending on your system you know if you're gonna i think it's really for the until they're in the class the classroom group should be just managed for space for comfort for forage intake uh, and you know that kind of an idea rather than putting them straight into the straight into the main group and roughing it in the main group until they're they're settled into themselves sure because as we saw that's why you showed that 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 line that's a chart there on your calcium status like you know the cow gets back to normal after about three days or so two or two to three days Give her those yeah. two or three days with a bit of comfort. And then from there on, then you're expecting her to do her job in terms of grazing, in terms of intake, in terms of milk production. But when she's kind of out of the, until she goes into the tank, essentially, you're dealing with a, you're dealing with a cow that's maybe a little bit um, delicate in terms of their metabolism. So give her the, give her the couple of, um, give her a couple of days to recover. Like you're looking for over 500 kilos of milk solids out of this cow. Give her a few, give her a couple of days to get right. Like that's what we'd be saying. Do you know, it's not, there's no rate, there's no, there's going to be no production benefit to pushing her hard early on. That's the point. Do you know? Yeah, sure. So, like even in terms of milk, milk yield response, like she's going to build up from her maybe six or exactly. seven liters of colostrum straight after calving potentially. Exactly. To, she's going to be doing 20 liters by day four anyway. So you don't need to shove the daylights out of her to get there. Like you don't that. have to, exactly. I think that's where we're, that's really what we're, we're, we're what we're about, I suppose. The, once, that, once that animal is recovered and sort of back to normal calcium status, has her, has her intake sort of sorted out, has cleaned and is back to normal, are relatively normal and out of the classroom group, suddenly then you have an animal that you can work with then rather than be, you know, they don't get minded when they go into the main bunch, I suppose. That's the, that's the essential point. Okay. Look, we'll, um, we'll control. A, a, a way of looking at it is if anybody, has, most people will have been in hospital themselves at some point in time and the, the day after you come out, you don't eat a steak dinner generally. Um, so yeah. I suppose keep that in Take mind it easy for a couple yeah. Yeah, yeah, keep it exactly for a couple did. of days. Take them easy for a couple of days and they'll pay you back. That's what I Even the old bit of toast and butter and a cup of tea <laughs> to get them going. You're a fan of the boil seven up with the sounds of a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Or or the or the, the Lucas Ed without the bubbles. Which is a, a good energy source, yeah. That's some yeah, propylene like 
collar of sugar to get them going. It might be might be the worst thing. So don't don't anyone go home now giving seven up to fresh cows. But uh, <laughs> look at uh, all. I want to just make make the point there. Look at in terms of our intakes, most of our intakes are going to be in this range. You're 12, 12 and a half kilos as a dry cow, right? Twelve kilos roughly, right? So when you think about it, they're going to be twelve kilos uh, before the month, uh, the week of calving. Then they'll drop down to eight or nine kilos, maybe on the days of calving and then once the calve and come in that's where their intake's going to be for the first couple of days like is that 12 13 kilo range like they're not going to be at your 18 kilos um straight away it'll take them about 10 weeks to get to the high intake over that period of time so when you think about they're not suddenly going to calve and then eat 18 kilos it's going to be a, it's going to be a relatively slow and steady build up but a steady build up nonetheless so you're starting to build the build the intake from sort of that 11 to 12 kilo mark uh, by about a kilo a week uh, after the, after that, so you know, don't go slugging in straight away expecting uh, expecting cows to eat it because generally what will happen is it'll cause issues with um, with 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 the digestive upsets. So just slow it down and and make sure they're comfortable and and, and plenty of space and plenty of good quality forage, and then then start your build up after that. But for most people, they're probably not going much more than six kilos anyway. You can get to that uh, relatively quickly in terms of. Um, you know, once you get out past those few days, it's not. It, we're not talking ten kilos or twelve kilos of ration here. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not huge levels of feeding for 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 most people. Look, just we'll move it on quickly to keep moving on the minerals and just a few things we want to make po points on here. Sure, we've looked at this before, but it is important to come back on it again. The potassium, the K levels. We our silages tend to be low in potassium. Well, used to be low in potassium, but I think they're starting to rise because people are doing a good job now in terms of soil fertility. Magnesium is where it needs is down at about sixteen grams uh, per kilo. We really need forty grams per kilo uh, for the for the dry cow, so 0.4 percent. So really, for all we want to say from that slide is there's enough. There's no you shouldn't have any additional calcium really. Um, the phosphorus probably you need a bit of phosphorus in your mineral to balance that up because this is what the cow needs versus what's in in general sense what's in the silage we need no added calcium a bit of phosphorus we need plenty of magnesium and we need to watch the potassium in the silage if there are problems it might be the cause of the issue right that's the that's the point okay so that's the variation in k content we've seen this before but it's just a bear the point that's our average value there that middle bit but as you can see there's a big range there's plenty of silages above it and a good few silages below it so if you're up at this level and you're starting to push on to sort of 2.3 2.5 maybe 2.5 percent k you then start to say right i need to be watching that i need to make sure i have plenty of mag in the diet i need the right source of magnesium as well uh, and I want my cows in good, you know, I want to manage it a little bit. When you push up to sort of 2.7, 2.8% K, you definitely are in risk territory for milk fever. We would be suggesting either, you know, either um, dilute it out with a different silage or there are other options as well. But I think diluting it out if it's at very high levels is needed. If it's more kind of 2.3 to 2.5, maybe the extra mag will get you over the hump. Uh, and really at 2% and below in your K, um, it's really not probably contributing hugely to the risk of milk fever. Now, that's not to say that you won't get milk fever, but it's probably more to say that it's not the potassium that's the problem. Like you could have low K, but very poor magnesium and over-conditioned cows, you will have a problem. Uh, but it's to find the issue, I suppose, we're talking about. Just think about that sort of certainly two and a half and over, I would be saying ring your advisor and see what the options are. Um, it's, it's a thing that can go on, can go missed on, on, on farms at times, right? So look at... So to, 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 um, just to cut in there on you then, 
Um, yep. Is he high in key? It can be. It can be. We were surprised, actually. We we would have been making haylage and that, in, in Aidan would have been doing it in Johnstown, making haylage and certain getting certain from certain sources the haylage was 2.3 2.5% k um Stuart, it was keeping the condition off the cows but it was actually high enough in potassium i don't think we could i yeah. suppose generally speaking straw will be lower straw barley straw would be lower in k for most of the time oat and straw can be high enough in k funny enough um hay depends but it, it it really depends on 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 the source of that of the hay basically. I would say that yeah. um, probably straw would be a safer bet. To be honest, um, I think straw is probably a safer bet. But there's plenty of generally look at what it, what's going to cause the high K. A lot of slurry application, leafy mm-hmm. grass, uh, and first cut essentially. Like a lot of most hay. To be fair, like a lot of the hay made won't be in that category. But that's not to say that it mightn't be, if you know what I'm trying to say. So just don't assume that it's low in K. I would say that you could probably be a safer bet with a bit of um, with a bit of straw, and probably with straw, there's probably a bit more control in terms of knowing exactly what you're getting as well. You know what I mean? It can be variable, but straw is more consistent. So if you're in trouble, you're probably talking about two or three kilos of straw um, to make the difference, plus restricting the silage back. But then also, if you're going to do that, you would probably need to put in your half. You would probably need to put in your liquid then to bring your your protein back up, Stuart. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, if you have very high K silage and you're diluting it down, you, you basically what you're talking about for your close-up cow is it's sort of three kilos of straw plus a bit of soya rather than just three kilos of straw alone because you would be a bit raw for protein if you have to go with a lot of straw to dilute the K if you get what I'm if you get what I'm saying, so don't forget, don't forget that one. But look at, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's um, there's other options there around binders and things like that that maybe probably for another day really to, to go into those. Um, but uh, I would say dilution of the K would be a would be certainly certainly an option. Um, and we'd come back in a second to what the mag the source of mag can have an effect. Uh, as well okay look at so that's our that's our, our our kind of thing keep you don't no added calcium sort of phosphorus 0.3 percent but don't overdo it because it can cause problems uh, so you know if your phosphorus is kind of around 0.3 or there if there's kind of a three percent of three or four percent phosphorus in your dry cow mineral you should be fine so just check that there's a bit of phosphorus in it i think that should be uh, enough did come across a herd this this week actually very very low phosphorus in the in the silage, which I was surprised that I hadn't seen that in a long time. I would be sort of suggesting to up the phosphorus levels for them for their dry cows because they were getting a few issues. But so just double check that um, and don't overdo the P it's, is the is the point. So don't overfeed your compound mineral. It'd be, a, it'd be a message. If the bags is 120 grams, I would say feed 120 grams. Don't don't go charging in with a, a huge amount extra because you could undo good work. Right. Uh, as we said, the mag, I think if we can take one thing away, the magnesium, 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 make sure you're getting enough magnesium in, particularly for the last couple of weeks um, pre-calving. And most, most minerals now have improved the levels of magnesium in them, uh, which, is, which is a good thing. Um, some people might want to go with a bit of extra mag on top of that for the last couple of weeks, which is probably, um, which is probably helpful enough. Um, I might just I might just skip to that actually for a second. So, the the options around that would be you can have 
you know, if you wanted to go to extra magnesium, you're probably talking about really it's mag oxide, which is your CalMag or mag chloride, I suppose. That's the two that would generally be people would be using uh, most of. Now, just to make the point, Stuart, that mag oxide is your sort of CalMag um, and it's probably the easiest one to get your hands on and it's the cheapest one, I suppose. Uh, and it does top up the mag if it's necessary, but it's 55% magnesium. But sometimes if the, if the quality of the CalMag is very coarse, if it's kind of rough enough grade stuff that even though you feed more of it, they mightn't absorb that much, much of it. So particle size is important. So for people that are in trouble and are having issues, I would say, and if the K is a bit high in the silage, maybe mag chloride might be, might be a better option altogether. So kind of 20 to 30 grams of mag chloride in the water or maybe on the silage might be, might be, um, might be useful. But look, at, I think um, the point with mag chloride is it can cause palatability issues. But I think if you, if it was, if you have a good quality dry cow mineral and you think you need a little bit of extra mag in the right form just before calving, a bit of extra mag chloride in the water or on the silage would be would be something to um, would be something to consider. Again, very hard to give recommendations to everybody on that in a call like this. So I think if you think there's an issue, you think that there's a bit of too much problems, and you have a bit maybe your silage is a bit rich in K. You might want to consider extra mag uh, for the for um, for the cows that are springing essentially for that couple of weeks. The chloride might be as good an option as anything there, but CalMag will work will work quite well in most situations. But if there's a niggly problem, I would say maybe chloride is a maybe chloride is a better better option overall. You know, so that's just um, and there are plenty of people there are plenty of people doing that to uh, to, to to good effect. Okay, so look at um. When we, we've gone through this before, sure, but it's just to, to sort of, again, it's coming back. Most people have this in the in the bag and in the yard at the moment and they're feeding away at it and they're hoping that it's that it's working well. It's just to double check the, the mag levels, as I said, top them up with mag ox or CalMag or mag chloride if needed, kind of 20 grams maybe of, of mag, uh, 20 grams of CalMag maybe. 30 grams or a bit more of the mag chloride if, if necessary. Um, but that's, again, you need to just check what's already going in. And one as well, I suppose, is the vitamin D that I mentioned a while ago. Um, make sure there's a good level of vitamin D in your, in your mineral, which can help for, 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 for milk fever for sure. So those are the big ones. If we we're going to focus on milk fever this morning, rather getting into all, all these other things, I think those are the main, those would be the main, um, the main issues, I suppose, uh, uh, to consider. All right. Um, and just maybe, you know, just one final, I suppose, one final thing is kind of, that's a kind of a checklist, as we say now, um, that's from Finbar stuff from a few years ago, which is, I think it's a nice summary of, um, it's a nice summary of what we're talking about. So look at, rather than getting into too much detail, it's the body condition, it's the keep the, con the calcium levels low in the supplement, make sure your dietary phosphorus is okay, the mag again that I keep saying. Uh, your dietary potassium is um, is important to keep that lowish, and then if you have problems, you want to be sort of looking at your blood calcium and blood magnesiums. Interesting to see how they change post calving. But as we said, the changes are very quick, so there's no point in doing blood calciums three or four or five days after trying to make a, a, a trying to define a problem. It's really calcium on the point of calving in the blood that's the problem so our target i suppose and this is one that came up actually with an advisor 
um, came up with an advisor there relatively recently where she was talking about um, she was talking about um, a herd that said it hadn't much problem with milk fever and there was a few issues but not big issues but turned out your man had sort of nine or ten cases every year in a herd of 80 cows like which is a lot of milk fever as far as I'm concerned uh, so look at five percent or less in a hundred cows you want like two two cows any more than two cows at milk fever and you're saying here there's we need to be looking at this do you know what I mean that's what we would be talking about so for the year 100 cows maybe we tolerate two with milk fever two or three maybe that's about it we want to be keeping it uh, keeping it under that in terms of displacements you'd rather see none every year you one you tolerate one in the year I suppose and another one as well is kind of assisted calvings and um, you know, assisted calvings are difficult calvings. Ten, less than ten percent, you would certainly want it to be less than ten percent. I would say so. Just to give people their own idea, if you're on the line thinking about your own herd, sort of take those figures. Less, sort of three percent or less for milk fever. I would say three percent or less for displacements. You know, certainly less than ten percent. Probably less than eight percent for your for your um for your calving for for assisted calvings. If you have any more than that, you're probably saying, okay, I need to probably just take a look at this with my vet or with my advisor and say, can I tidy up? Is there an issue in the background that I'm not getting, that I'm not getting me, my, my, um, get, not getting on top of, you know? And just one final thing, sure, just to finish it out. This is something that we talked about a bit with some groups over the last couple of weeks. And it's interesting that every yard seems to be a bit different for this, right? And you can tell me this is what, what, what you see out there, but. I think it's very useful just for people to think about the flow of cows through the system. Um, how does a cow go from being a dry cow to being a milking cow, essentially? And how many steps or how is that managed? Now, this is down to facilities, it's down to space, and it's down to sort of management, and really down to having good scanning data as well, actually, having good data on your, on your, um, on your breeding to know when cows are due, essentially. But... Uh, some yards that are doing a good job on this, and I'm sure there's plenty of them on the line, they're looking at it in sort of a, a logical sequence that you've got your far-off cows, which is your cows that are fully dried and no sign of, you know, that are at least sort of a month from three weeks to a month, at least from calving. They're in the far-off shed, which is really a case of making sure they're in the right body condition, making sure they're healthy in terms of uh, parasites and, and lameness and making sure and lice and all those things and making sure they're getting their minerals right then you move to your close-up ones which is when you start to see them springing there's a separate house a separate area kind of where you keep the ones that are starting to spring down you keep those kind of you know separate that you can you can watch them a bit closer then you're thinking about space extra space maybe at least a cubicle if not more than a cubicle per cow uh, you're giving them you know at probably closer to, you know, giving them 30, 30 inches of feed space, really getting plenty of plenty of feed space, no limit there. They're getting their minerals. And if you have to top them up with mag, mag chloride, that happens in that group of cows. So that essentially you're looking at a group of springers there, basically, beside the calving area, which then is, you know, on your straw bedding and all the rest of it. Again, that's comfort space, your water, water supply and mag important there. From there, it's into the colostrum group once they're calved, which is kind of until the seventh milking. They're separate to the main group, which is all about recovery, you know, managing simple, managing the intake, keeping an eye for milk fever, and probably in a lot of cases, milked once a day for, for comfort for the animal and convenience for the, for, the, for the staff or the farmer to not have to milk two groups twice a day. 
and then once they're through that system, then then you're onto the milking herd where it's body condition intake and cell count become the issues for the for the spring. So rather than going from you know, rather than when a cow is thinking a calf and fishing her out of the big shed and firing her into into somewhere and then putting her to the main herd, there's a, there's a logical sequence and the controls for health and comfort are thought about for each of those steps. Sounds like a lot of work. It probably reduces work in, in real terms because it keeps the right, it keeps all the similar types of cows together and then they're very easily managed uh, after that. Okay. Okay. Yep. Very good. Uh, I suppose, and the other thing that I suppose if people don't have that set up for this year, there's still time to do it. And the other thing is to, mm. I suppose, at the end of the calving season, think back about it and see what could be done maybe to improve it for 2022 then. Yeah, and look at yeah, and look at it. it. Might sound it's maybe you were making a big thing out of nothing here, but like really, when you think about this, right? You've got your far off and your basically all that is is dividing, being able to divide your dry cow shed into that you can give your close up cows a bit more space and keep them together and keep those in in one part of the shed that they're easily observed. Everyone has a everyone should or will have a calving area. And then the only other adjustment then is to keep your colostrum cows in, in a small group together for a few days after calving. So really the only adjustments that are needed there for most people, sure it is being able to split your dry cow shed and keeping a colostrum mob together. That makes it work. Do you know, it's not yeah. a big deal. Yeah, very good. So I suppose to sum it up, Joe, like ultimately you're saying that the calcium metabolism of a cow is critically important to how they function for their upcoming lactation. Um, like all, everything is basically tied to muscle function. So the metritis is as a result of lack of uterine contraction post-calving if their calcium status is undermined. Um, the going down is obviously as a result of the, the lack of calcium as well. The teeth sphincters, then you pointed out as well, like that mm. if muscle function is compromised, they don't close up properly post-milking and they're more inclined to contract or, or uh, get cases of mastitis and so forth. And mm. I suppose... You were talking about the dystocia or the harder calvings and people might be thinking, what's that got to do with calcium? But ultimately you're saying that if you're assisting more than 10% of the herd, there's obviously a reason that they're not calving naturally themselves as opposed to it being an issue with bull selection, which could be a factor in it, but in most cases shouldn't be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's the thing. You know, you look at the, you, you know, we all know the situation when you get a monster of a calf, like a big calf, you can understand why... Um, you know, you can understand why it was a difficult, difficulty calving shirt, but then you get some other times you're going, you're probably thinking to yourself, geez, she should have been able to calve that calf. Like, you know, that kind of way you're sort of yeah. saying there shouldn't have been a problem there because the calves, you know, moderate enough in, in weight, like they're not, not a big calf. So you're probably saying, yeah, keep an eye on your milk fever. Um, and maybe iodine as well might be just, just to mention iodine might be an issue for some herds, but milk fever would generally be the one. Um, it'll, it'll help tidy those issues up, I would, I would say. And look at the other thing is that, like we said, we, we said now, look at the body condition, the, the magnesium, the potassium uh, and the vitamin D are the control measures. If, you've, if you're struggling with some of them or if there's a, an issue that maybe the body condition has gone a wee bit out of kilter, you have cows that are going to be risky uh, and there are some issues already arising on the farm. The main thing is to sort of look, have a chat with your own vet and say, look, I need to do something. I need to prop them up for calcium for the ones I know are going to have problems, even though I try to control it. And just have a chat with your advisor as well in terms of, you know, how much mag am I feeding? Am I feeding enough? Do I need to add a bit more? And what are my options around that? And, you know, our advisors will give you a, a quick steer on how much 
chloride or, or CalMag you need to add in to, to solve your magnesium problem. That's as simple as that, really. Okay, and I suppose another thing that's important to point out is, and it comes down to good records, but if cows got milk fever last year, there's a very, very high likelihood mm. that they're going to get milk fever this year if you don't do something about it. That's it. Ah, yeah, that, 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 is, that is a thing. They're a year older too, and parity, obviously, or lactation number is a, is a, is a, is a fair risk factor, uh, is, is a fair risk factor uh, for it, you know? Yeah. yeah, okay, so just one, um, uh, one or two final questions then, Joe, I suppose. Just you mentioned about the crossbreds having that higher propensity. Like, mm. So the, the parity makes sense because obviously they're, they're producing a lot more colostrum when they're milked, so that surge of, of a draw in calcium kicks in yeah. rather than the first or second calver. What's the scenario in the, the crossbred that's just causing that uh, higher level of milk fever potentially? Why? I suppose definitely you will definitely see it in the Jersey breed. Um, they're well known for being more at risk of it. I think now I, I I believe reading something on it, it's it's really down to I suppose the density of bone relative to the size of the animal. Like you know, if you look at the what the, what is the animal actually? They're relying on their cal, mobilizing their own calcium stores, um, Stuart. Right, yeah. so. It's just an issue in terms of the the jersey has a difference in its capacity or its reserves, how it mobilizes its reserves naturally. Okay, so the, you're relying on the bone calcium reserves uh, to 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 mo you're relying on that the cow to mobilize her own reserves. Sorry, in order to get over the milk fever issue, the jersey doesn't have the reserve or doesn't have the efficiency of mobilization maybe that the black and white might have. So it's just an innate thing in the breed. It's not to say that. You know that it's a, it can be controlled by making sure that all the things we've talked about are done right, uh, but it does it does require a little bit more attention. And maybe one other thing that some people are saying is with the cross with some some of our lads will be saying with with crossbreds, they do tend to be easier to put weight on as dry cows. You know they do tend yeah. that you can often see crossbred cow because they're smaller cow maybe in their intake per their intake per kilo of live weight is high but their overall requirement is relatively low because they're smaller. They tend to get over, they can get over conditioned a bit easier. So just watch that as well, that you don't overdo your crossbred cows. That combined with the difference in how they mobilize calcium can cause a bit of an issue that you just have to watch out for, I think. Okay, and just two final questions then. Um, the calcium boluses, do you think they're effective for the at-risk cow? And what about feeding rock salt before calving? Is that, a, is that okay? I think the calcium, certainly the calcium boluses are, when we looked at that first chart that we saw there, Stuart, there's a drop in calcium, right, for sure. The calcium bolus, good quality calcium bolus will offer a very absorbable type of calcium right on the point of calving when the cow needs it to get over that hump, right? Um, for high risk cows, um, for higher risk cows, following the instructions of how you do it in terms of doing it on the point of calving, I certainly think the calcium boluses are, are a good job. They are effective. Um, just, I would, I would certainly say they're a good, they're, they're a good job to, to, to get over that. The other question was the rock salt. Um, look, I suppose with rock salt, we didn't get into decab there and, you know, about the, the difference in anions and cations and all that. Um, I suppose with rock salt, I don't, it's not, while it's a source of minerals, it's not the mineral that's going to make the difference for milk fever. We want magnesium, really, is what we're talking about. I would be, I would be get, probably saying with rock salt, not for the couple of weeks pre-calving, and maybe if you want to feed it post-calving when cows are onto a higher concentrate, possibly a benefit. But 
I think for the couple of weeks pre-calving, in order to keep the mineral balance right, it's probably reducing the amount of salt and reducing the amount of sodium is probably what I'd be doing rather than increasing it. Yeah. So very good. So I suppose uh, long to summarise it, I suppose people like it's going to vary from year to year within farms because obviously silage may vary in its uh, K content and so forth. So people, if you do start, get, if you get a, a milk fever very early on, it might uh, or one or two mm. very early on, it might be important to react to that quickly before it becomes a significant problem. Yeah. Um, and to say, there are simple enough ways, I suppose your meg chloride and your meg oxide, as you pointed out. So your meg oxide being your calmeg. Um, there are solutions that probably kick in after about three to four days of using jaw in, in many cases to in, yeah, in, yeah. in response to problems. And the boluses, I suppose, again, like I, I often talk about trying to do things on your own terms. I mean, for the sake of the price of the bolus, um, to handle the cow in a scenario where you're kind of in control of it, so she's maybe just calved or on the point of calving and you put the bolus on her rather than coming up to check cows maybe to find a cow down as a result of having um, milk fever kicked in or something is a much yeah. better way. And look, there's a cost associated with it, but I think you can see there from that rather complex diagram that you had earlier on, Joe, the impact that calcium has on so many levels for cows. So trying to cover off those angles, I think it actually, you'd invest a little bit of money, but you'd save an awful lot of money potentially in the long term or gain yeah. a lot of money as a result of it. So I think the key thing is probably to have a conversation uh, with your vet in relation to it as well. I think there's possibly more and more people kind of looking at the dealing with those higher parity cows and taking them as yeah. automatically high risk potentially uh, and giving them the likes of the boluses or giving them the extra mag to try to get them over the edge. Uh, and I suppose just uh, just be aware of it. Uh, it's, it's a big problem and it creates an awful lot of other problems. So like ketosis, downer cows, um, metritis obviously and retained cleanings are all uh, issues that you want to be trying to avoid especially in any kind of a calving system but especially in compact calving systems where you're you've just caused a wall of cows coming at you you don't want those problems so I suppose just to to just to have the, con the conversation I suppose with, with your own vet or with your own advisor to cover off those angles I suppose in advance of the main bulk of cows starting to calve so look, uh, we're, we'll have to wrap it up. As I said, we have to move on to the next group for 11 o'clock. So thanks a million, Joe. Um, hopefully thanks everybody sure. got benefit from that and the best of luck with the calving season and we'll be back again next week. So we'll talk to you then. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday. So do listen in then. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and thanks for listening.